Good morning, church. It's good to uh, be here with you all. My name is Dale. I'm on staff here at Reality. And we're continuing our series in, uh, in God Forever, talking about different attributes, talking about things about God that have not just been in the past, but continue today and continue into the future. And today I want to talk about a man that was written about in 2 Kings. And his, this man was, had a life that was honored by God. And God thought that, man, this man was right on track. That even though so many things he was doing was like dead on with God, circumstances happened in his life. Things happened around him that maybe had nothing really to do with him. And life started to fall apart. So that even though he did what was right, he still faced some circumstances that were outside of his control. And ultimately, he discovered some attributes of God that were worth hanging on to. Now, to get a full picture of this story, I would encourage you to go to 2 Kings 18 and 19, because no way am I going to be able to cover all of it. So I would encourage you to dive in yourself as well. But let me start here in verse 1. It says this, now came about in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. Now, let me explain something here. If you don't know this, the, king of the, the country of Israel had split into two. So there's uh, the first king, Saul, then David, then Solomon. And after Solomon, it really splits into two. Solomon's son continued uh, ruling in just two of the tribes. But another man who worked for Solomon actually took the other 10 tribes and they split. So from this point on in the kingdom, there was dual kings within the country of Israel. So for some context too, Hezekiah comes about about 250 years after David has passed away and 13 kings separate him. So that kind of gives you a, a breadth and an understanding of how far this was apart. Let me continue in verse two. So we're talking about Hezekiah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And he did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places, broke down the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah. He also broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called the Nehushtan. So let me pause here a second. There's these high places that many countries, many civilizations, many people groups would build, and it's on top of mountains, and they would be places where they would worship gods. Now, prior to the Israelites coming back to Canaan, they... They were built all over the place. And when Israel returned, God told them, and go to these high places, destroy these places where they were worshiping other gods. And what Israel had set up was places of worship for God, for Yahweh, for Jehovah. But over the series of time, what had happened is that idolatry started creeping back into the country of Israel. And through many kings that were not good and not following God, these places that were torn down became places of idol worship once again. And so it references Hezekiah that he tore these places down. Now, what's interesting is that this be kind of becomes a marker of each king, what they did with these high places. Example, uh, Joash is referenced in uh, 2 Kings 12 that he did right in the sight of the Lord 
only the high places were left remaining. Uzziah, the same thing. He's referenced in uh, 2 Kings 15. He did right in the sight of the Lord. He was a good king, but he left the high places in place. And then there's this guy Ahaz, who's referenced, he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he actually went to the high places and sacrificed with everybody else. So this high place taking down was actually a mark all throughout kings. And they said, this is what this king did with these places. Now, Hezekiah even goes a step further where he says he took down the Asherah, which was like a worship, like a worship pole for the Canaanites. And the, then he even took down the Neshutin, which was an original thing that uh, Moses had put up. Man, it was just this crazy story in Numbers 21 where the Israelites are getting bitten by snakes and dying by the poison. And God says, if you put up this bronze snake and you look at it, you will be healed. You know, even Jesus references this later and sometimes like, why a snake? I don't know. It was a snake, and God, but God said, man, look to it, just like the Son of Man, look to the snake and you'll be healed. And Christ said, man, if you look at me, you'll be healed. But that lingered, and what started happening is the Israelites started worshiping the snake again. Because let's be honest, when things start falling apart around us, when things aren't really going like we want them to go, we start grasping for whatever seems right or kind of true or good to our thoughts, or good to our ears, or good advice from our neighbors. So Hezekiah, being a reformer, man, he took it all down. He tore it apart. And the only place remaining to worship God was in Jerusalem. But let's go back to Hezekiah. And this phrase here, I would say, man, circle this, 2 Kings 18, 5 and 6. This is the one to write down. This is the one that describes him to a T. It says this. It says, he trusted in the Lord the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from him, but he kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, if you were to stop there, and if you were to do what so many of us do, we're like, oh, how do we become like Hezekiah? Like, what's the plan? And we may even develop something like, hey, the Hezekiah plan and sell books and make millions of dollars or like five steps to be like Hezekiah or how to get rid of the high places in your life because this is what we do. We formulize things to become like this. But let's let the story of what happened start to unpack who he was and why he trusted in God so much came about that Assyria, which is now modern-day Syria, came in and took Israel captive, the other 10th, 12th of the country. It also remembers that Hezekiah rebelled or stood up to the king of Assyria. Even though he was just a small part that was meaning, he wasn't giving in to him. But then Assyria starts taking different cities of Judah as well. Hezekiah does some really strange things. He tries to kind of surrender or kind of pay him off. Like, hey, can I give you a bunch of silver? Can I give you a bunch of gold? His character was intact, but maybe of his tactics, he started to wane because that's sometimes what we do. We kind of bend and we're like, okay, God, if I, if I do this, will this be all right? And he tries to make a deal with the king of Assyria, but the king of Assyria just won't let him have it. We go to 2 Kings 18 down to verse 17 where things really start to pick up says this, then the king of Assyria, 
sent his generals to King Hezekiah with a large army to Jerusalem. So they went up and came to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is sitting on a hill. There's a wall around it. People sitting on the wall, most likely. And when they, and when they called to the king, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, which would be kind of like Hezekiah's uh, chief financial officer, and Sheba the scribe, which would kind of be like the secretary of the board, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder, who would basically be like the historian for Hezekiah and the official documents, they came out. So just even picture this scene. Military, army, they come up to Jerusalem to oppose Hezekiah, and Hezekiah sends out the chief financial officer, he sends out the secretary, and he sends out the historian. An amazing battle right here. It's obvious Hezekiah is trying to make some kind of deal. Then Rabshakeh, and Rabshakeh really isn't the name of a person, it's a title, so it's really the Rabshakeh. He was probably, like the ty- probably the head of all of the armies of the king of Assyria. He says to them, say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king of Assyria, what is this confidence that you have? You say, but they're only empty words, I have counsel and strength for the war. Now whom do you rely that you have rebelled against me. Now behold, you rely on the staff of the crushed reed, even on Egypt, on which if his man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So was the Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who rely on him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, it is not, it, is it not whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away? And he has said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before the altar in Jerusalem. Okay, let me pull back a little bit. He's being challenged and he's like, who do you think you are, basically? Where are you getting your confidence from? If you hope you're getting backup from the king of Egypt to protect you because you have this new trade agreement back and forth, I'm telling you, the king of Egypt is gonna turn on you. And now he starts talking to the people. Now, if you think... God's going to come through for you. Let me bring to light what Hezekiah has done. Now, according to Rabshakeh, he's like, Hezekiah has taken away all these places where you can worship God, and he makes you come here. He's taken the details of Hezekiah honoring God and twisting them. Really, he's using religion when Hezekiah has an intimacy with God. He then goes for what he thinks is probably the ultimate attack. Man, if I can bring fear to the hearts of the people, if I can make other people doubt, if I can make those who think they're strong and those who are together start to murmur and complain and start to go, yeah, does Hezekiah really know what he's doing? Does God really know what he's doing? Then I can turn this. 2 Kings down to verse 28. Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in Judean. Now Judean, he's now speaking the language of the people. A few verses before, um, the, the people who Hezekiah sent out said, no, speak to us in Aramaic. But this guy's like, no way. I'm speaking to the hearts of the people because if I can get the hearts of the people to turn and to become demoralized by the events that's happening right now, I have all of you. This is what he says. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. 
Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you from my hand, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying the Lord will surely deliver us, and the city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Syria. Jump down to verse 32. Do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered this land from the hand of the king of Assyria? And then he just starts listing. He's like, let me tell you all of the reasons why your faith is going to fall apart. Let me tell you all of the things that are happening in the world that don't make any sense right now. Let me show you all the proof that God doesn't care. And he starts to list them. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvim, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria from, the, from my hand? Who among all the gods of all the lands have delivered their land from my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. But the people were silent and answered him, not a word. For the king's commandment was, do not answer him. Let's process for a minute. Rabshakeh wants to have a debate about which God is better, or probably even more how the earthly king is better than any God, because no God's been able to stand up to him so far. It's not really a debate. He just is having a monologue, basically saying, no God can stop us. It's all in the hands of humans right now. In Rabshakeh's thinking, Hezekiah's reforms uh, uh, to bring people back to God, man, maybe they've really displeased God because it hasn't really worked so far. And he's turning the hearts of the people to say, man, you really shouldn't expect much from God of Israel. What makes him better than anything else? You know, another way we can look at it is his words is saying this. Look at all the places there used to be where people would worship the Lord the God of Israel. Now, since Hezekiah came in, there's only one place. More is always better, right? So the Lord God of Israel must be pretty upset at Hezekiah. Man, in my moments, even during the past seven, eight months, I start to wonder sometimes, don't you? How could it get any worse? <laughs> right? There's, there's, constantly, um, I mean, they're not, they're jokes, but they're not that funny, really, like what else could happen? And, and sometimes we look to January 1st, 2021, as this is going to change everything. Like, man, that day is going to be amazing. It's all coming back to normal. But we know, yeah, that hopefully that's true. <laughs> but as we see church is empty, and I understand why, for health reasons, and I'm not saying anything, but we just see maybe the, the, and people arguing about that and wrestling with that, that maybe it's not just about that. And maybe we shouldn't just find strength alone in that, but we find strength in something different. There's an intimacy that even though all these other places are falling apart, could it be that this man was trusting and clinging to a God that was different? Here's the point. There's an enemy of our soul and he has an incredibly skillful way of discouraging our obedience. If Hezekiah wasn't careful, this argument that Rabshakeh was making would start to make sense when it was really demonic logic. 
If Hezekiah wasn't careful, he could start believing too, wait, maybe I did displease God. Maybe I was supposed to do something different. But in those moments, he paused and he stopped. Now, Hezekiah was referred to as a man who clung, who clung to the Lord, and there was nothing like him before or after. I want to just think about this for a moment, this word clung. Um, do you think it was his ability to cling that held on? Or was it the strength of what he was clinging to? Now, we're also told the same exact word, devak, which is clung, that Hezekiah clung to the Lord. In describing Solomon, they use the same word. Solomon clung, but he clung to his pagan wives. And they led him astray. In fact, that was the demise of Solomon and ultimately demise of the kingdom for what he was clinging on to. So it can't just be that we cling, but it may be what we're clinging to. But even that, it could be what the clinging to the direction of. Let me explain this a sec. When I was a kid, if I saw a rope swing, like I didn't care where it was, man. If I saw a rope and something, I wouldn't check the rope. I would just jump on the swing. I just would trust this has got to be safe, right? It doesn't matter how old it was, whatever. And I would just jump and swing and swing out. And I learned through experience that you probably should check before. And as I got older, though, because I was tired of swinging and thing would break and, you know, snap, I would at least go and check the rope. Is this a strong rope? When I became a parent and I built a rope swing for my daughter and because my wife did not trust me, she went to the store with me and we bought the strongest rope possible and an amazing swing. But that wasn't enough. It was entirely the most important thing what it was attached to. So we found the biggest branch on the tree in our backyard and wrapped it and wrapped it and it would not move. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how strong your grip is. It doesn't matter how strong the rope is. It's what it is attached to that gives the strength. Hezekiah's ability to hang on wasn't the strength because of his hands. It wasn't because of the strength of the rope. It was what it was attached to. Early on, it says that uh, Hezekiah was influenced by Moses. And what we discover, he has this relationship with the prophet Isaiah in real time that made a major impact. What did he learn from Moses about God? And even in Moses' first verse of first writing, uh, Genesis is revealed by God. He reveals in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was deep in Hezekiah. My rope is attached to the creator. Deuteronomy 6, another powerful thing that Moses writes. He writes, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. One. God is unified. God is whole. God is pure. 
God is integrity. God is oneness. God is one. And from this relationship with Isaiah, he starts to understand that God is holy. Dave taught on this a few weeks ago. Let me read it to you again in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah has this image, and no doubt passes on to Hezekiah that the, your rope is attached to the holy, holy, holy. This is what he clung on to. As he looked up, his rope was attached to the creator of all things. His rope was attached to the one that is pure, that is integrity. And his rope is attached to the one that is holy. So that even when the attacker is lumping all the gods together, Hezekiah could look through the lens and say, but those gods aren't creator. Those gods are not holy. Those gods are not one God. The advantage we have that Hezekiah didn't have was also hearing from Jesus. And it's the same kind of reality of life that God is creator, that God is one, that God is holy, that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is talking about how things really are, an existence. It's not just a belief system, but this is the way things are. And that was the level of faith and trust that Hezekiah had in God. You are creator, therefore. You are one, therefore. You are holy, therefore. The lens I am looking through that no matter what's happening in front of me is that you are worth hanging onto. Back to Hezekiah. I have found this to be true. The man or woman who has seen following God with all their heart has two things that they often do. They often have or always have an intimate relationship with God. And secondly, I have found that they have a relationship with godly counselors. They surround themselves with godly people and they have a relationship with God. This is exactly who Hezekiah is and is exactly who keeps Hezekiah on track. Second Kings, now we're in chapter 19. He's heard the attacks. He's heard the abuse. He says this, when King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amaz. They told him, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is the day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the moment of birth and there's no strength to deliver them. This is like a proverbial expression for like a disaster, like a woman is so exhausted by the labor that she can't complete the birth. That's what they're saying it's like. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the, all the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God. 
and that he will rebuke him for the words of the Lord your God has heard. Therefore pray for the remnant that still survives. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me, listen. When he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country and there I will have him cut down with the sword. But he doesn't just rely on this conversation with Isaiah and I love that Isaiah says to him, do not be afraid. Do not have fear. Okay, does that make any sense? Because there's an army surrounding his palace and he sends out three of his officers. Does that make any sense? Because they're listing all the places, all the gods, all the reasons not to believe. But Isaiah says, you're following somebody different. And then another threat comes by letter. And at this point, Hezekiah, man, he just goes straight to the Lord. Says this, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, just like what Isaiah said, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words that have been sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have made laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from the hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, Lord, are God. Man, what does Hezekiah point to? Did you catch it? I'm talking to the God enthroned between the cherubim. He's saying, you're holy. He says, you alone are God. There's one God. You have made heaven and earth, creator. He's not just saying these are like uh, descriptions. He's saying, no, this is who you are. Therefore, I see all the gods that they're talking about is nothing. That's possible. Even in the midst of all of the things going on around us at all times, a clear view of who God is and what he has for you. And if your rope is attached to him, helps you to see the false gods around you as simply as wood, hay, and stubble. Because of this clarity of understanding God's attributes as creator, as holy, as one, gave Hezekiah such clarity and perspective in this moment. I lose my way when I lose perspective. I bet you lose your way when you lose perspective. To trust God, 
to depend on God, to make sure our rope is attached to God is to keep that perspective clear by relying on who God is. But as I close, I want to zero in on what Hezekiah did. He took this letter and he said he spread it out before God. That's an interesting thing. Like, you know, maybe he just like, you know, spread it out like, God, what do you think? I really think he spread out this letter and he's like, here's attack, here's an attack, here's a thing, here's a thing. What would it look like? Because we don't often get that in written form. The attacks of Satan, the lies in our head. That just doesn't show up in the mailbox. And we're often lost in our own thoughts when we're being lied to and the perspective starts to change. What would it look like for you to spread it out before the Lord? We often don't because we're even forgetting what we're thinking about. What would it look like to map everything that's in your head? The lies, the fears, the joys, the hopes, the aspirations. What would that look like to lay it out before the Lord? A few years ago, I was thinking about this and I thought, I want to literally do this. I found the biggest piece of paper I could find was almost like a piece of butcher paper. I rolled it on my kitchen table. I had to move some things. I'm doing it and I took a Sharpie and I wish it was not one of those Sharpies that went through the pen, different, through the paper, different story. So my wife found some writing, whatever. Okay, so, and I just started writing everything I was thinking about. The good, the bad, the, the really ugly, the lies. It didn't matter if it's true. I just said, this is what I think, this is what I think, this is what I think. And I just, I just spread it out before God. And I just went through each one. Truth, not truth. Truth, not truth. Because when we try to just do it in our head, we get lost. Hezekiah, the man who clung to the Lord, trusted the Lord, spread it out before God. Man, I encourage you from the bottom of my heart to spread it out before God. Not just in your mind. Because if I was to ask you right now, how will you literally spread things out before God? If you don't have an idea right now how you would literally do that, you're not going to do it. So that's what I'm at, at a literal way. Is it in a piece of paper? Is it on a board? Is it on the mirror at home? I've encouraged couples to do this sometimes too. Man, write your hopes, your dreams, your frustrations. The thing you've always wanted to tell your spouse you had this dream, but you were always afraid of because you might sound stupid, just write it. And go, this is what I've thought about. Hezekiah gives us his roadmap of what this next level of intimacy looks like. We have a conclusion that Hezekiah only hoped for. Hezekiah so desperately wanted a permanent fix. And we have that. His buddy Isaiah writes this in chapter 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. 
We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, all the things that I spread out before the Lord that day, we have a savior who died for those things. And he rose again to conquer all of that. This is God's assurance to each one of us that he is one, that he is creator, that he is holy. That even though the people eventually after Hezekiah end up in captivity, there is always a remnant that remained. There is a hope and a light that this remnant comes from and a son comes from this remnant. That through Judah comes the son to save the people from their sins. The thing I hang on to the most here is that our forever God is worthy of trust. And when he's at the end of your rope and that he is the one securing you, cling to that with all that you have because he is worthy, he is trustful, and he is intimately acquainted with everything going on. So lay it out. Let it go. When Hezekiah did, it made all the difference. And he was described as a man who clung to the Lord and trusted God. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this time, this story, this man Hezekiah who clung to you and trusted you And God, as he knew you to be creator, he knew you to be holy, he knew you to be one, it gave him the perspective and clarity that brought truth to all that was around him. God, may we be people that don't just have the appearance of following you, but the reality and the benefit and joy of following you by seeing things for how they really are. Thank you for sending your son for us so that we may be united back with your father. We love you. In your name, amen.